Are you working? What kind of work do you do? What's up, everybody? It's Tyler Haskins. Welcome back to another episode of Third and Forever with Tyler Haskins. I'm joined today by another guest. Welcome, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. Uh, Ryan is a former co-worker of mine when I did my internship with TDN. Uh, Ryan, how you doing today, man? Thanks for uh, for hopping on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me on, Tyler. Man, it's it's been a crazy offseason, hasn't it? I mean, so much stuff going on with free agency and, you know, obviously draft. I think the two of us know better than anything, obviously having that, you know, exposure to stuff like the combine and, you know, scouting guys and watching this film directly of these of these prospects. Um, talk to me a little bit just about your experience, you know, what you do with the draft network and everything, uh, your background in sports journalism, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out with uh, Washington Redskins at the time, not the Washington football team, not the Washington Commanders, two names ago, um, <laughs> a couple years ago when Dwayne Haskins and guys like that were in town. Um, so I started out there in PR and then moved my way into writing, working for Redskins.com, did a little bit of a hybrid stuff for them. And then from there, came to TDN and do a little bit of everything, scouting, video, audio, written stuff. Uh, again, just do a little bit of everything for TDN. And like you said, it is a great opportunity. Um, and so it is really a blessing and a privilege to, to do what we do, um, the ability to not just see these guys and watch tape, but also meet these guys. Um, I know you and I had a long conversation at the Combine on the floor in Indy just talking about how nice it is to get to know these guys behind the face mask. For you know, real. It's, it's just a unique opportunity because you see the guys on Sundays, on Saturdays, and then you get to meet them. And it's just different. It adds a little unique wrinkle to the process. So, But, yeah, TDN, been there for a couple of years now, and do a little bit of everything uh, under the content umbrella. It's, it's really nice to have a, a fellow uh, Lifetime DMV member on here with me as well. Uh, I know I know Jack Jack got some Richmond ties to him as well, but uh, talk to me about just being able to be from Virginia. Uh, you know, Noah, you went to school up in Baltimore, and uh, just being around locally to work with the team that, you know, you grew up on. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was cool. You know, uh, obviously Burgundy Gold runs through my veins. It's, it'll always be that way. I'll never switch up. Uh, on all my DC teams, I'm a Wizards guy, I'm a Cats guy, Caps guy, we got opening day for the Nationals today. We'll see how that goes this year. Might maybe some rough patches. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm DMV through and through from the 703. Went to Mount Vernon High School, grew up in the area. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, growing up in the DMV. I mean, I know you're, you're nearby to the area in Stafford as well. Um, it's just a tight-knit community as big as it is, I feel like. And with you coming in at TDN, it was kind of unique as far as you're saying, yeah, I'm from the DMV too. And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm like, hey, maybe you're a Washington commander guy. There's not many nope. around us here anymore, and you're uh-huh. not. You know, so, <laughs> no, so, yeah, right, right. So, again, there's not many, not many people around there anymore. But, yeah, growing up and then following Washington um, through the ups and downs, there weren't too many ups, lots of downs, and they're still trying to make their way up. Um, but it was pretty cool working for them, and, and I'll always cherish those experiences with them. Talk to me, man. I mean, you, you've been through, like, a lot of different, you know, phases and, you know, different steps in this process with Washington. Uh, like you said, from the Redskins to the football team to the commanders now. Um, I mean, this this team, when we look at this team going into 2023, uh, you know, Ron Rivera, still the head coach, right? He's still got his job. Yeah. And we look at the quarterback situation. We're talking about possibly Sam Howell being the guy for 2023. You know, Rivera's high on him. He told all the OC candidates when they were getting ready to hire OCs that, hey, we're looking at Howell being our, our QB1, you know, for yeah. 2023. Uh, they, they go and they sign Jacoby Brissett to just a one-year kind of vet minimum deal. And then, you know, you look at, this opportunity for someone such as Lamar Jackson, where, you know, he's now he's going through all the drama with Baltimore and everything. And Washington has been one of those teams from the start that has said, Hey, 
we're not going to pursue Lamar, you know? And they've kind of made that clear by saying, hey, we're rolling with Sam, and mm-hmm. we, we signed Jacoby. So what can we expect from Washington, especially in a division where, I mean, the NFC, what used to be the NFC least, has turned into the NFC beast, okay? <laughs> especially yeah. with, you know, the, the way that the other three teams performed this past year. Where does Washington fit into that in 2023? Yeah, and I think we need to take, take a step back with the whole Lamar Jackson conversation because I like Sam Howell. I know they like Sam Howell inside that building, but to not kick the tires on potentially Lamar Jackson. Now, from what I was told also outside of the building is they're not going to do that, but it, it, it just, it's not good business. If you don't kick the tires on a potential guy like that is 26, already won an NFL MVP. That's just the bottom line. If you think you want to go in, oh, we got Sam Howell in the building. We don't want Lamar. You got to evaluate your process a little bit to be frankly, you know, to be frank with you and be honest with you. So, um, but yeah, Sam Howell, I like him. I really do, and he's going to be QB1 most likely moving into the fall. Eric Bannon, likes him. He's told that you mentioned that. Um, and that's the offensive skill weapons around him. And I think you look back to his success in North Carolina, De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsom, Javante uh, Williams, Michael Carter in the backfield. He's got those weapons around him everywhere. Jahan Dawson and Terry may be one of the top receiver duos in football, depends on who you talk to. Curtis Samuels, a chess piece. And then Eric Bannon, but, you know, he has pillars to his offense, but he consistently evolves what he wants to do week to week, no matter what defense that he's facing. And I think their offense became stagnant at times with Scott Turner over the last few years to where it was very predictable for what they were doing. And I don't think they will be that this year because, like you said with Ron Rivera, he's in town for now, but his seat is warm, and it's warming. And at some point, it's going to get hot, really, really hot. you got too much talent on either side of the ball to consistently play 500 or sub-500 football. And he's been a great story where what he's been through is, is unbelievable. But bottom line is the product in D.C. within the hashes has not been good enough for a long, long, long time, really since you and I have been alive. It has to be better. And I think moving into this year, they were an offense that had uh, under 20 points a game for an offense last season. I think they'll be better than that this year. And I'm just excited with Eric Bieniemy and that the, him and, and Sam Howell. I think it's going to be really fun this year. And the thing about it is, though, you look back at last season, halfway through the season, this team caught fire, man. I yeah. mean, Taylor Heideke took over their job and went up to Philly and gave Philly their first loss of the season. And after that, he was cruising. You know, he had, he had the Jays and, and all the different colors and stuff yeah. up on, the, on the table of all the teams he beat and everything, beat Aaron Rodgers at home. I mean, that, that, was, that was really good football for D.C. And then, you know, when Rivera made the decision to bring Carson Wentz back and, and start him on that New Year's Day game, I was, I was at home. And I, watched oh, it and I was like, no, yo, man. why? And I thought, I thought that was – the 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 white flag he he waved at himself and was like okay my job is done i'm out of here but he kept his job and you know obviously going back to carson wentz and then the struggles with heineke down the stretch this team was in playoff position and they gave it up absolutely and, and you're 100 percent right and the thing is with with carson and there's politics and sports unfortunately you go back to high school and say oh the senior's starting over the freshman just because he's a senior nfl i paid this guy i traded for him i used picks he's going to start over me no matter how good Taylor Heineke has been not just in 2022, but 2021. Look back to the game against Tampa Bay in the playoffs where he almost beat Tom Brady at home. Mm-hmm. Taylor Heineke was by no means a world beater. By no means. We're not going to know him as that. But he's someone that had a vibe to him and an X factor to him and was able to rally a locker room. And that little stuff matters. And switching to Carson Wentz really just put a flag, right? Stuck a fork in him for that season and just ended everything. Now Sam started against Dallas and they offered some unique opportunities for some younger guys. But overall, every single year, it doesn't matter if you're bottom feeders or you're the chiefs of the world to where you're fighting for a Super Bowl. 
You won a Super Bowl every single year. That's the goal. Your goal mm-hmm. isn't to, I want the number one overall pick in 2024. No, that, that's never. not the goal. So for Washington, obviously got a long way to go. They're not a Super Bowl contender this year, not yet. But with Taylor Heineke last year, especially the whole situation with Carson, it's just there was politics involved, and it's really unfortunate. Last thing I ask you about the commanders, is it a problem at all regarding Eric Bieniemy's freedom calling plays during his time in Kansas City and now getting more freedom for the first time joining the Washington Commanders staff? I'm excited to see it. I am. I think he's been around the shadow of Mahomes and Reed for a long time, right? It's always been, oh, but he's got Andy Reed next to him. He's got Mahomes. He doesn't have Mahomes in the building. We know that for sure in the Bergen Eagle. He doesn't have that guy there. Nope. Um, so from again, I mentioned earlier, but schematically and from an architecture perspective, he's going to set up his guys to win. And again, I mentioned the offensive skill weapons. They made some additions along the front five. He brought over Andrew Wiley to most likely line at right tackle. Nick Gates from the Giants. They're going to have guys that battle at every single spot. And I think that's one thing that I praise really Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, the brain trust of Washington to get guys in the building that want to compete. And every snap is earned. It's not given. And I love that mentality. You hear a lot of peewee all the way up. But for the NFL, sometimes I mentioned just politics, but you got to have guys in the building that can compete. And a roster that's been 500 or below, you, get, you just got to get guys in the building that are going to compete. And I think Eric Bannon is going to bring that attitude to an offense that is littered with young playmakers. Most definitely. I, I got to ask you one more thing. Have you seen the Barstool DMV posts where they compare Michael Thomas being out for however many weeks due to a toe injury, but they show Brian Robinson right next to him? with the quote shot and returned after about a month. Okay. If yeah. you haven't seen it, please go check it out on Barstool DMV. I haven't seen it, but Tyler, I think you've heard my arguments in our meetings over the last few months is why Brian Robinson, why didn't he win comeback player of the win of the year? Everyone knows the situation. The dude is a flat out stud. It, 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 the guy got shot. <laughs> shot. And he came back and played and not just played, but succeeded. And he would have been upper the top two or three rookies in the league. Had he played a full slate of games. It was overwhelmingly impressive. I'm excited for Brian in year two. Did not see the post, but Brian Brian's an absolute stud, and I'm just excited. I'm, I'm first off, I'm happy he's healthy and be able to play football. But the situation he went through was was truly unbelievable last year. Hey, B. Rob getting shot and then running out the tunnel to many men might be one of the hardest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, <laughs> that will always be one of the coldest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, but to transition here, so, you know, Jack and I, we got the chance to check out uh, Northwestern's Pro Day here in Evanston. Uh, I know you've been all around, man. It sounds like I mean, you've been on Twitter very active, you know, tweeting out measurements and talking about these guys getting quotes from their pro days and checking out different prospects. How has that journey been for you? It's been great. Uh, pro, days, pro days are the best because it's really wrapping up a long haul. Mm-hmm. Of these guys, yeah. some of these guys, you're not just watching them this fall, you're watching them in 2021, 2020. It's just a lot of work, right? It's a lot of film. It's a lot of talking about certain individuals day after day after day. And kind of the, the community that's outside of us, right? The, the, the public draft community is want to talk about guys every single day for 24 seven. For us, it's like, we're just ready for April and we're ready for the summer mm-hmm. to kind of take a little break, right? Get a little bit of a breath air, breath of fresh air. Cause it's, it's a lot, but yeah, pro days have been great. Uh, just recently, yesterday, we had we had Maryland's lot. We have Florida's today with Anthony Richardson. Mm. Um, I have That's a recent great. article up on the DraftNetwork.com of 13 guys from the Pro Day circuit that haven't received much attention that deserve it. Guy like Christian Isian, a safety from Rutgers. The league has a lot of buzz on him. He can play the nickel. He can play single high. He can blow your chin strap off. You want to blow up a screenplay on the outside, play special teams. 
I just I like the pro day circuit because it not, doesn't just offer you a glimpse of guys that didn't compete at the combine, like a guy like Izzy Abanacanda mm-hmm. from Pitt yesterday that absolutely blew up the scene. And for some people, maybe RB three on their board. We don't know. He's not going to yeah. be Gibbs or, or Robinson. He may be RB three, but pro days just offer you a little bit of a glimpse inside a, a comfortable environment for these players. You want to see him work out again. You want to see him do positional drills. You can see interest from teams. Who's there? Who's showing up? That provides a little bit of a unique wrinkle to the process. So pro days are always great because it's kind of that final stepping stone to get to the draft. Now, talk to me about the significance of pro day for these guys, for, you know, the good and the bad. Because, like, I watched at a time of my, my teammate, uh, you know, here at Northwestern at the Combine. You watched him, too. He blew it up. I mean, yeah. for him to be the size that he is and run the way he did and perform – Absolutely insane, right? And so I, I see him at the pro day here in Evanston. I'm like, why is he doing this stuff? There's no need for him to do this, right? You know, and of course, Tommy being the guy that he is, he wants to keep going out and try and keep rising that stock as much as possible. You know, he even goes and gets an extra rep on the bench than he did in Indianapolis. So yeah. how significant is, is it for these guys to be able to build on what they did in Indy or maybe they didn't have the performance they wanted in Indy and maybe they kind of turned some heads after the pro day? Yeah, for me, I love guys that compete, and any opportunity to compete, they do it. And with Tommy, I, I love it. And I think I talked about it yesterday on one of our premium uh, meetings with our premium subscribers for TDN. He deserves round one attention. And I hate it that people will look at, oh, Northwestern just won one game. I'm not throwing any slander to the Wildcats, but you throw a Georgia logo on him, Tyler, and where does he go in this draft? Because for me, he goes top ten, bottom line. There's someone that you look at his skill set from the interior, can slide out to five tech and do what he does at his size and the athletic profile that you just mentioned. It's very unique. And in 2023, where you got guys coming in like a Tariq Woolen last year or Jordan Davis last year to where you're like, what do they feed? What do they feed these boys? Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys. But for me, yeah. the pro days, it's just if you can compete and you have another opportunity to run a 40 or run an L drill or run a short shuttle or do these different things again and then positional drills again. I just want guys that compete. Now, I understand there's a lot of logistics as far as agents and what you're hearing from the league as far as what your valuation is as a prospect. But if you want to compete, just show up and compete and, and do those certain things again if you have to. If you want to improve, if you ran a 4-2 like a DJ Turner in Indy, you don't need to run again. We know what you can run. We can watch the tape as well. But for pro days, again, it's, it's more so just for guys that need to improve upon a time, like a Trey Tucker at Cincinnati and Tyler Scott that both ran the four threes after kind of disappointing in Indianapolis in the 40. And also, too, Tyler, we kind of have to take the 40s at Pro Day with a little bit of a grain of salt mm-hmm. because we know a little bit a little bit boosted sometimes. <laughs> but I'm not going to hate on anybody but because those guys, all of them can roll. But for Pro Days, for me, I, just, I want to see guys compete. When you get an opportunity to do so, do it. You gave me a very good segue into my next question because I want to know how biased are pro, are pro days sometimes because you're yeah. going with handheld times from, you know, people in your own environment when you're, you're back at home, right? It's, it's not indie. We're not talking about full laser and everything, and we're talking it's run by the league and all the officials. No, no, we're going back to our own roots, what we, we know very well and we're familiar with. So what is the bias like when we get back home for pro day for these guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mentioned it. You're in a, you're in a home environment, you're sleeping in, but for some of these guys in a dorm, you're sleeping in your own bed, talking to your coaches, and the guys that are timing it are your guys. So you're mm-hmm. running up for the 40 and you line up at 4-7 or 4-5-7. I will take that down to a 4-5. Uh, <laughs> so when these guys run quickly at a pro day, add maybe a tick, tick or two onto that pro day, there's absolutely 100% bias, especially in the 40 for these guys. 
So where do you draw that line between like Indianapolis and the pro days? Because there's got to be like a, a fine line. You got to take stuff with a grain of salt at the pro day then, because you know, there's that bias there where it seems yeah. like stuff at the combine is a lot more official. Yeah. I think you try to use as many resources. I know for us, try to try to talk to as many people as you can, because even at the combine, there's 32 different times, Tyler, you got the laser, you got all teams are just click clock, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's got a different times. You got 32 different times. There's, five teams at a pro day or 32 and different single representatives of the coaching staff there, you're going to have all different times. So I think for, for me, for what I do personally is I try to reach out to as many resources as I can at those pro days. Specifically yesterday, I was trying to call everybody I knew to try to get an official time on Izzy Abanacanda because someone had him at a four, two, four and someone's got him at a four, four, one. Someone's got a line there. Something has to mix up. So obviously a difference of 4-2 to 4-4, not just going to mess with you as far as a prospect, but an evaluation and where he ultimately falls on draft day because we know fast guys go high, and that's the bottom line. So that bias, it's hard to measure, but for me, I just try to use as many resources as possible to find that fine line. Now talk to me a little bit about the Terps, man, because the Terps are back, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and Coach Coach Locks has done some some really good stuff out there, you know, out in College Park. I know personally from playing these guys this past season, guys like Ja'Cory and Bennett, Deontay Banks, they're the real deal, man. They got some good receivers on the other side. They had a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism on that offensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, how did they, they look at the pro day? And, like, what do you think about some of these guys out of Maryland? Because they performed well at the combine, too. I, I believe it was Ja'Cory who had one of the, the fastest 40 times for the corner. He's down 4-3 territory. Yeah. So talk to me about these guys and, and what's going on with the Turks, man. Yeah, him and Deontay absolutely flew in Indy, and it's really a, it's it's a breath of fresh air for Maryland because you, you know it. The DMV is a hotbed of talent mm-hmm. everywhere, and for a long, long, long time, whether it's football or basketball, they've just lost talent to the south, to the west, to the north. It doesn't matter. They've consistently lost talent, and with Rack Jarrett, Hellcat Rat, right? We talked about it in Indy. <laughs> talked about it in Indy. Low Rack Jarrett, five star from from local kid from from St. John's, and him staying home was big for the program. And obviously, Locks coming in from Alabama. They got studs, and not just those two, but Jacob Copeland and um, Dante Demas, who unfortunately had the ACL. But Jalen Duncan, at offensive tackle, one of the most athletically gifted tackles in the class. Spencer Anderson along the front five. Then you look at guys coming back this year. Talia Tonga-Vailoa to his younger brother, Roman Hemby. Guys in the backfield, they got talent. And it's really nice to see, unfortunately now, I do want to mention C.J. Dupree, the tight end that transferred to Alabama. I'm going to miss him because I thought he was a stud. He's someone moving in the next few years that could be a highly drafted guy. Um, so lost him to Tuscaloosa. But Maryland, like you said, Maryland is back, and I'm excited for them. I don't know what their ceiling is as a team. They're consistently probably going to live in that middle range of the Big Ten until they really take that next step with maybe getting a quarterback after Tylea in the building to really elevate them. But like you said, they're getting guys in the building. They're getting talent, and talent matters. Loxley had it at Bama. He's getting it now at College Park, and they're back. Hey, all I'm saying is – Rock Jarrett was committed. He's a five-star coming out of high school, committed to LSU. Okay, mm-hmm. he decommitted from LSU to stay in College Park and stay at home. He, he's from DC, DC guy, a Maryland guy. Yeah. He decided to stay home and go to College Park for college. Some type of incentive had to be there, and if you want, I can tell the the Hellcat Rack story off camera, but. Okay. Uh, what a transition here. Just talking about some top prospects. Uh, we was both there in Indy, you know, watch these guys run live, work out, uh, work out live rather, you know, this, 
this receiver conversation, man, I think it's it's very similar to the quarterback situation, in my opinion, this year. Mm-hmm. Because I talked about the quarterbacks on Monday, and I really just don't see a guy who's just QB one. It just really doesn't stand out to me. And I don't mm-hmm. even I don't even know if these guys are franchise guys, any of them really. But I think the receiver conversation is a bit similar because none of these guys really stand out to me either as, you know, just wide receiver one right off the board and are able to just go contribute and have a heck of a season this upcoming season. You know, I think we're spoiled a little bit because we had a draft class last year that, you know, entailed what Jamar Chase and I'm not, I'm sorry, not last year, but the class, the class that did have Jamar Chase, I believe Devontae was in that class as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like these guys come out, we're having like all these wide receiver ones coming out together in the same round. But this year, I don't really know if we're seeing like wide receiver ones coming out together in the first round, maybe let alone any, you know? So like, what's your thoughts on that? Especially after seeing these guys work out in Indy, um, you know, seeing some guys at pro days, what do you think about this receiver conversation moving forward for April? Yeah, I have no clue what to do with the receivers, Tyler. No clue. Because I think it's a bunch of wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes. And I had QJ Quentin Johnson from TCU as my wide receiver one for a long time. But there are major deficiencies in his game, especially with his – he plays small when he's in the air. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he catches with his body. I hate that. I really do. I don't like it at all. Um, JSN, I'm not going to get cute in his evaluation. He's a 100% day one guy. But he doesn't fit that mold of a 6263X that you want, what the NFL wants. Mm-hmm. I'm now, again, not going to get cute. I'm going to line him on the outside and let him work, whether it's in the slot or on the outside. But Jordan Addison, I have questions with him. Um, I kind of talked to a lot of people at TDN, our colleagues, yourself in Indianapolis about Tank Dell, my love for him. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that conversation with smaller guys. JSN's right in that bucket, and Zay Flowers is in that bucket. Josh Downs from North Carolina. They all fit in there, but are those guys elite wide receiver ones, like you mentioned, with the Devonta Smiths, Jamar Chases, the Jalen Waddles, Chris Olave coming out last year, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, all these guys. These guys are studs. Now, a couple of them are wide receiver twos on their respective offenses, but more of a wide receiver one, wide receiver one A. And I think you're absolutely correct. I don't know what to do with this class. I think you can find some value on day two, early day three with your they're Tyler Scott's of the world, your Xavier Hutchinson's from Iowa State, or an Andre Yoshivas from Princeton that someone's going to take a high flyer on because of how athletic he is. So bottom line, I, I don't know what to do with this receiver class, but teams can never have enough guys that, that understand how to separate on the outside. I just am interested to see how the league is going to evaluate these guys. I got, I'm going to do something here. I got five names here. I'm going to name a name. I want you to say either overrated or underrated. These are my top five receivers. And not, yeah. not in this order, but just top five overall. Quentin Johnson. I say a little overrated. Jordan Addison. Overrated. JSN. Underrated. Zay Flowers. Underrated. Josh Downs. Underrated. Okay. 100%. See, now, now you and me, we're exactly the same in this because the QJ conversation is, I feel exactly the same way that you do of what you just said. The dude is 6'3", 6'4", 210 plus pounds, yeah. and – He's playing small. Like, dude, you're supposed to go up and body small DBs yeah. and win every single jump ball and win every matchup, man. You're supposed to go up and, and put your hands up and catch mm-hmm. the ball, right? right. Don't body, right. It, body it all. Like, and especially impressed. I seem impressed sometimes, too, where you should be, you should be doing these dudes dirty, man. Like, mm-hmm. expect, don't let no young and small corner come up on you and try and get hands on you, man. Push yep. that dude. You're supposed to be stronger, bigger, faster. Like, I don't see him do that enough 
especially to be a wide receiver one nowhere. You know, yeah. and I think that a lot of the hype behind him is it has to do with the size. Obviously, that's something you can't teach, but mm-hmm. you know, it's something where oh, he's he's got it naturally, so we can develop the other stuff. We can work on that. You know, I hear coaches say that all the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this guy is going to turn into a wide receiver one once he gets to the NFL. Now, Jordan Addison. He obviously did what he did at Pitt. He did what he did at USC this year with Caleb Williams throwing to him. But I wasn't really impressed with him at, at Indianapolis. Yeah, I really I wasn't, especially the 40 time, because he was in the 4-5 range. And I think you, myself, and a lot of people were thinking 4-4 four, four and mm-hmm. below. And yeah. I think we were really surprised to see that. On the other yeah. hand, when you look at the rest of these guys with JSN, Zay Flowers, even Josh Downs, Talk to me about why those guys are in the underrated conversation. Yeah, I don't want to be the, uh, you know, hold the pitchfork, not the pitchfork up, but the banner of optimism for the smaller guys. But I just try to look at how separation translates, Tyler. And these guys know how to separate. And all that stuff, again, it translates. I think you look back to the most polished route runner in the league last year as a rookie, and that was Chris Olave coming out of Ohio State and Garrett Wilson as well. That stuff translates. I don't care if you're six six or you're five one. I really don't care. If your ability to separate, just like Tank Dell and those guys you just mentioned, specifically with Josh Downs, and I love his ability to play both the slot and and outside, and his ability to play like he's six three six four. Such a natural hands catcher and a guy that makes it look easy. That translates as well. And I think you have to try to find check off as many boxes as possible. You watch him at UNC. You see him at the pro day. We watch him at the combine. You're like this. You're starting to solidify yourself as, for me, a late day one guy, early day two, right in that bucket with, say, Flowers. And with Jordan, I know all the success at Pitt, local guy in the DMV from Frederick, went to Tuscarora, and then out at USC wearing the Trojan logo on his helmet. So he's going to get that buzz. I just want more. I want more. By no means is 4-5 slow, but we're projecting him as a potential top 15, top 20 pick. I need more from him. I need more from him. For sure. And I even think the Zay conversation, too, like Zay really impressed me and Indy just going through yeah. drills, you know, like in the way how, how smooth and fluid he looked. He just looked complete like as a receiver and JSN as well. But I remember we had this conversation a few weeks back uh, in one of our TDN meetings about Zay Flowers and comparing him to different guys in the past. Zay does a lot with his just rack ability. OK, for, for those of y'all who don't know, his run after catch and his ability to, like, do stuff with the ball afterwards after he's caught it. And it's, it's ridiculous, especially for his size, too. I mean, he's, he's a smaller guy. He's on the small side. But his speed, quickness, elusiveness, agility, like, I mean, he's got it all to be a playmaker. He may not be, you know, wide receiver one off the board, mm-hmm. but I like playmakers. You know, I like offensive weapons where I can move them around. I'll, I'll put Zay in the slot. I'll put Zay out at Z. You know, I can give him a motion, like put him in motion and be able to run jet sweeps with him or just get a man zone tail, whatever it is. But I think Zay does a lot when the ball's in his hands that some of these other guys don't do up to his, his par. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it. You look at the fact that it's chess pieces. 2023, you got to get guys that do a variety of things, not just wear hats, but wear them well. Mm-hmm. And I think Zay could also align back and return some punts for you, return some kicks if need be as well. That explosiveness and tough. And he's tough as – I'm not, I'm not going to curse, but he's tough as you know what within the, oh, yeah. within the slaughter on the outside. I don't care if he's facing a you know next level. It's a Julius Brent from this class or a Joey Porter or it's a Jalen Ramsey or Xavier Howard down in Miami. He's going to compete, and he's going to battle his tail off. And another thing, too, that I love seeing from receivers – again, I don't care if you're small or big – is your effort on the outside being able to block. 
Because if you're not a stud, stud, stud on the outside, you're going to have to stick your face in and block. Yeah. And we know there's some guys in the corners that they don't want to be blocked by a receiver. That's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So your ability to block as well is an effort thing. And then you get, you know, you're not a prima donna if you don't get the ball in your hands. But when you do get the ball in your hands, you mentioned the rack ability. He could take it to the house, whether you're starting at the 20 or you're inside the red zone. Yep. That's part of the job description, too. you got yep. to block as well. Um, with JSN, I think it's it's so interesting because he's he's my wide receiver one. Okay, he's wide receiver one for me, and mm-hmm. I think that the conversation of JSN played and well, I think it was just the one game. I think he tried to play again after Notre Dame yeah. when he got hurt in the opener this year, uh, but he only had like five receptions for forty something yards. And I talked to Jack about this last week. Like, I don't really need to see anything else from this man. He he put up 300-plus yards in the Rose Bowl against Utah. Now, okay, Pac-12 defense, I get it, I get it. But 300-something yards, but, like, come on now. On yeah. I want to say it was, like, 15 receptions. You know, yeah. like, I don't really need to see anything else. I'm not worried the fact that, you know, he only had five catches for 40-something yards. Jamar Chase sat out the entire, I believe it was the 2020 season uh, with COVID and everything, and came out and absolutely balled. He was wide receiver one from the start for the Bengals. You know, so, and he's been a very productive X out there, you know, by by his lonesome. So when I see JSN and I see, you know, the conversations, like, I really am not worried. I'm not tripping, you know, because with the injury and everything, he looked great. He ran well, I mean, not, not the 40, but he ran well in drills in Indianapolis. And, again, he just reminds me of a, a complete receiver. Like, that's what I see when I watch him work out. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm giving him the Kyrie Irving treatment. Kyrie coming out of Duke, we were like, yeah, we heard always top overall pick, top three pick, and he wasn't playing too much at Duke. And we're like, well, what's the deal with this kid? Because I want to see him play. Saw him in high school ball out, but you want to see him ball at Duke. And you see him a little bit, and you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, see what the, I see what we're talking about here. So with JSN, I'm on the same train as you. Um, we, the long list of five stars at Ohio State. We're going to see guys in like Mecca Ibuka and obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. coming out next year who's going to be a wide receiver one when he could be potentially the top receiver in this class if he came out this year. I don't think that mm-hmm. there'd be any questions there. But with JSN, I'm right on board with you. I don't need to see anything more with him. Day one, line him up on wherever you want to line him and just let him compete and, and feed him with targets. So I'm right on train with you with JSN. I don't need to see anything more. I think he's tough. I think he's healthy. I think he is 100%. Excellent twitch in his lower half. He's a, he's a separator. I talked about that earlier. Smooth hands. Can play above the rim if you ask him to. It doesn't matter if he's 6'5", because he's not. I love his game, and I'm not getting cute with his evaluation either. And really, I, I, I told you earlier, I've been on the QJ train for wide receiver one. I, I want to see a little bit. I want to watch some more film of these guys, just compare back-to-back. Um, yeah, JSN is moving up for me because of his, his ability uh, at the combine that I saw, and obviously looking back at the tape at Ohio State and how dominant he was and what translates to the next level, and my concerns with QJ, which have to, that's the evaluation part of it. Um, so, But I'm right on board with you with, with Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm glad you mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we get into this where we're like, all right, this guy is definitely going one off the board next year. But we yeah. did that same thing last year with Bryce and CJ, okay? It was Bryce yeah. Young, number one. It was CJ Stroud, number two, in 2023. Well, we're here in 2023, and I don't think any of us really think that's going to be the case this year. Um, but with Marvin Harrison Jr., like, I saw a tweet where someone said, like, Marvin Harrison is, like, the the next year version of the new Lamborghini that is just sitting in the window, in, in the, the window side, like, just being able to see and dream about and wish you had, but you got to wait a whole year for it. But you know it's going to be the first car that you get. 
you know, and that's like the argument of him being one, one. Okay. First overall. Now us in Northwestern, we shut him down. Okay. So we want our props. We shut him down. It was windy. It was bad weather, but we shut him and CJ down. Okay. But we look at that college football playoff game in the semifinal where they played Georgia. There was a huge difference in that second half after Marvin Harrison went down and got hurt. And mm -hmm. CJ Stroud absolutely put the team on his back and did everything right in that game. And they still fell short. But there's obviously a difference when he's on the field versus when he's off. Um, I know just obviously a year out from, from him, but just talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from him and evaluating his film. Stud. Uh, I don't think there's going to be another receiver that I was going to change my mind for, for next year. Uh, again, we have a whole year. Things happen. Unfortunately, you know, injuries and things like that sometimes take their toll, which I hope he stays healthy. I don't root for injuries for anybody. But uh, absolute stud. Physical, strong. Every, can do everything at every single level, um, unique. And I think obviously we're gonna. We talked about Joey Porter Jr. in, in this year's class with the, with his father and the dominant player he was for the Steelers. You obviously Marvin Harrison on your on your, your Harrison on the back of your jersey. That matters. Um, and I, but I think you microscope him as a player. Um, it's just again, just just a ball player and someone that I want in my offense from day one. And I am one hundred percent not getting cute with him. Now, does he go one one over Caleb Williams or Drake May? We know how the league evaluates quarterbacks, quarterbacks mm -hmm. go high. Oh, yes. So it's going to be kind of a situation maybe with Will Anderson this year, where he may go three, he may go four, teams may yep. trade up, and he may drop to five. Who knows? Who knows what happens? Teams still don't know what happens. Right. Um, but, yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. is just a flat-out stud, can do everything on the outside, and I just I love his game. Last thing I want to talk to you about, Bijan Robinson mm -hmm. might be the best running back <laughs> prospect in – I'm going to say like the last 10 years, okay? Mm -hmm. Last maybe 10 to 15 years, okay? The man can do it all, and I watched I watched a little bit. I evaluated uh, TCU corner Travis Hodges-Tomlinson. Yeah. And I watched them play against Texas, and I watched other Big 12 you know, players play against Texas. And this guy, I mean, I, I don't know how to put into words how – valuable and how dangerous it is to have him in your offense. Okay. And we had this conversation in our TDM meetings uh, a while back about the Eagles at pick number 10. Okay. It, it doesn't matter what offense you put Bijan into. Okay. He's a Swiss army knife that you can line up outside. You can line up in the slot. You're going to run him out the backfield. Oh, there's, yep. there's so many things you can do with them, but to insert him in a, in an offense, like what the Eagles have already, is it would be extremely dangerous, okay? Uh, you could talk a little about the Eagles specifically, but just overall with Bijan, man, I mean, what are your thoughts on the prospect and the weapon that he is coming out this year? Yeah, me being a Washington guy, he can't go to Philly. He can't do that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. We can't do that. Um, no, Bijan is special. Um, I know that the league may get cute. Um, there's a certain individual on our staff I know that gets cute with running backs. Um, <laughs> they need to step off of that because he's a, he's a unique talent. He may be the best player in this class, and that's including Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Uh, he is special, and he's a three-down guy right away. Um, and, I, and I'm right there with you as far as potentially best prospect at the running back position in the last 10, 15 years. And, yes, that includes, obviously, with Saquon Barkley, the Nick Chubbs mm -hmm. of the world, Derrick Henry, all those guys. Yeah. Um, he fits not just with his ability, but he fits what the NFL wants to do in 2023 at the running back position and on offense, because you mentioned his Swiss army ability to where he can go out the, on the perimeter, not just be a running back that brings a safety or brings a linebacker over. He can create on the outside and actually run a route like a receiver. If he has to, you can ask, ask him to sit there and pass pro. He'll do that for you. Do the little mm -hmm. dirty work. 
Oh, then yeah. you, you meet him as an individual. Talked about it at the top of the show. Fantastic. Excellent young man. Confidence, swagger to him. Love it. Not cocky. There's a difference between athletic confidence yeah. and cockiness that people Most also definitely. too that, that I that I love about him. And yeah, I think he's he's a, he's a second player in this class for me, right with Will Anderson. I, I just I love Will, what he offers that these that these are prospects are that are fantastic. But yeah, Bijan is I'm not getting cute with him. He's a one hundred percent round one talent. If I'm the Eagles at ten and he's on the board, and the Eagles have the ability also, Tyler, to be luxury with their picks. You don't have to go and reach for an edge guy that, that everyone is saying that they have to, or maybe take two. They got some guys in the building already. There's not many opportunities to take a guy like Bijan Robinson and to replace yeah. him, Miles Sanders, to fill those shoes from day one with that offensive line and the same core around you. It's unfair. It's unfair. Now, here's, here's the confusion that I guess we run into sometimes with what has transpired in the past five to seven years of drafting running backs, okay? Because this guy gets in trouble because he plays a running back position. Because now it's like, do we take a running back that high? I think Ezekiel Elliott is the perfect example of a running back that was used from day one who made an immediate impact on the team that he was drafted to and obviously you know, catapulted them to championship contention along with other pieces. But... He was worn down very quickly. There was a lot of wear and tear that went on him, and I think we see a lot of that with running backs overall. You don't even see a lot of three-down backs anymore in the league. Most offenses are now having you know, a two-back system to not run these guys into the ground too early and basically shrink their careers. Yeah. So the tough thing about it is, yeah, you know, I love Bijan. Bijan's a playmaker. He's an offensive weapon. I want to take him high, but he's also a running back. You know, Do I need to – spend that type of money? Do I need to, you know, pick him up here with this pick in the first round? But I know I'm only going to get maybe X amount of years out of him that may not be that long. Yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm not going to get cute with it. Um, I just think what he offers for an offense, and, and even looking back to the Ezekiel Elliott valuation in Dallas and the offensive line that he was running behind was one of the best offensive lines in football in the last 10 to 15 years. And if you look at Ezekiel's just – flat-out box score stats. I don't want to be a box score scout. But every every year, he slowly decreased. And that's, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, the wear and tear on the tires and the bodies along that front five, that changed. And Ezekiel Elliott's ability even coming out of Ohio State to where he was not overly dynamic to create creases mm-hmm. and hop from gap to gap if he had to. He's more of a power guy. And yeah. that's fine. But you look at Bijan and even comparing him to Saquon as far as from a dynamic athlete in the backfield and in space – he can create gaps for you and kind of mask the deficiencies of an offensive line along the front five. And as you mentioned with Philadelphia, the guys that they have along their front five, there's not too many deficiencies along that. Then you add in a guy that can do all those things for you and create his own creases and put his foot in the ground and accelerate zero to 60 in 10 yards, you're, you're cooking with gas here. Mm-hmm. So I know you mentioned with Ezekiel and what he did in Dallas, but behind that front five, it was really, I thought he was a byproduct of that. And as they kind of got hurt and guys changed along the front five, he kind of fell apart a little bit because he was not overly dynamic. But with Bijan, he is that. And he mm-hmm. does have that athletic profile. He does have the production of the Big 12 behind an offensive line that was not great. Now, they have some guys along the front five. Kelvin Banks is going to be a stud that we're going to know in a couple of years down the road. But Bijan has that over that Herculean athletic profile and as a football player to create on his own if the front five has those deficiencies. So that's what makes him so special for me. For sure. I mean, I'd even say my own team, if, if the Ravens don't like a receiver or a corner that's yeah. still on the board at 22 and Bijan's there, pick him. 
Draft him, please. Okay, I love J.K. Dobbins, but draft him, please. Yeah. But, I mean, first they got to figure out who's going to be handing the ball off to the guy and throwing the ball to the guy first. So we're not even going to talk about that. But uh, that is Ryan Fowler, folks, uh, from the Draft Network. Ryan, I appreciate you joining me and coming on the show today. Uh, talk to the people. Let them know where they can find you on socials, find your content, all of that. Yeah, on Twitter, if you don't follow me already, underscore Ryan Fowler. Uh, all my written work, audio, video content is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. And for you commanders, people out there, all the Burgundy and Gold faithful, um, I have my own podcast, Commanding the Huddle, that you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Uh, We will be dropping this episode here real soon, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of Third and Forever with Tyler Haskins. Peace. This has been Third and Forever, starring Tyler Haskins.